What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Tom here with Nicole and Gretham. I asked today's guest to introduce the show, and he was kind enough to say yes. So we are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. Our guest today is Sam Jam Packard of the Athletics Anything Is Potable, and this is Gino Tom. <laughs> I'm really glad we got to do that. How's it going, man? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. You know, just <laughs> waking up after the Celtics lost another game to the Heat, which I had the pleasure of attending. I had the pleasure of leaving early with about two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Nothing is is fun here in uh, Celtics fandom. I, I mean, I didn't even think they like they didn't look listless. They just looked like way worse than the Heat. <laughs> like, the Heat are good. Like they kind of hit their stride and got healthy, and I think they're going to be a really tough out. The Heat season followed the trajectory that the Celtics probably were hoping that they would as well. Yeah. Given like they both were in the Eastern Conference Finals, they both had COVID issues, injury issues, and now the Heat are coming together at like the right time, and then the Celtics are falling apart. I mean, it's it's really kind of wild because like yesterday's game, like I mean, and Packard, I mean, you were there. Like it didn't seem to me like any member of the Heat was necessarily going crazy, except for Dragic, like you know where he hit like a bunch of threes in a row. Like it just looked to me like like it just kind of was. A collective effort like just a bunch of good players out playing the celtics who aren't that good i mean it was a disrespectful amount of three-point shots that went in i think from the heat but their offense just at any point it felt like they could just drop a play which is uh duncan robinson run around for 15 seconds and get just a sliver of daylight and you can knock down a three just a DHO with BAM is just so effective for them. Um, I think we just saw a number of players knock down shots. They knocked down a lot of open threes, but they also knocked down a bunch of contested threes. And I think right. we've seen this with the Celtics offense the entire year where they're just moments or large periods of times where they're not getting easy baskets. And so I thought they played a pretty good first half. And then the second half came and it just, you hit those moments of struggle and the Heat just kept making shots and just kept doing it. It was not fun. They did, they did it without Jimmy Butler, too, in the second half, which was pretty impressive, but they didn't really seem to skip a beat at all. I think a lot of that had to do the Celtics defense was so horrific in the second half, and it wasn't particularly good in the first half. Like, I think we've kind of come to accept that this is just a bad defensive team, and they're just going to have to score a million points moving forward. Evan Fournier is going to have to step up, whatever. But the Heat took full advantage of the Celtics' lack of defensive engagement because it was really bad. In the second half, they were just whipping the ball around. And you're right, even when they didn't get open shots, they were managing to hit some some tough shots. So, you know, the, the Heat obviously made a ton of shots. The Celtics shot really well. Like they were, yeah. you know, 52% from the floor. They hit 18 threes. Then Heat hit 16. Like they actually made more threes than Miami. It's just that Miami shot almost 60% from the floor, 53% from three. Like they just did not miss. And again, I thought in the first half, especially the second half, there were a bunch of breakdowns, but I thought in the first half, especially the Celtics looked like they were trying. They looked like they were trying to get out to people and the Heat were just like, just demolishing them. I mean, it, it's starting to really feel like the Heat just kind of have this iteration of the Celtics number. 
is there anything else to say about this game? I and mean, we were talking about it last night a little bit, trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about with this game. I mean, like, I, I just don't know how much there is to analyze about this game specifically. It feels like, you know, it might be time to just talk play in. It might be time to talk like, like playoffs at this point, because the Celtics are almost locked into the seven seed. Pretty much the only way they end up in the six is if the Knicks completely fall off the table. I don't know. I mean, like, and then go the have... other way. Is there any way they can get the nine at this point? <laughs> I'm about yeah. thinking for draft picks this point. Because I've been thinking about it. Being in the playing tournament is bad in itself. But, like, if we think about the NBA over the past couple, uh, at least decade, it's like you either want to be a championship contender or you want to be bottoming out. Being a low-level playoff team is not good. And so you could be like the horrible Washington Wizards, as Chris Grennan was trying to brag, and be one of these low-level playoff teams. But it's just what benefit is it to winning the play-in tournament? Like, they should absolutely lose and then try to get, like, the 13th pick. Maybe you get a, like a lottery luck, but you don't want to be a franchise that just consistently makes a, a like lower half of the playoffs. Like that is just not a good place to be if you're an NBA team. Sam is literally describing the Wizards. <laughs> that is what the Wizards have been forever. They're just a middling team. And Ted Leonsis loves being a middling team. Like he was quoted in saying, we will never, ever, ever tank. It's it's horrible. I fully agree. Tom brought this up on the last episode. He's like, they're never going to do it, but they should just tank, lose out in the playing game and get a better draft pick. Like, I think it makes a ton of sense. Jason Tatum needs to go for a full body scan because I'm sure there's something that he could uh, have surgery on to improve. I think you just have to go in with Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith. We'll give Evan Fournier a chance. Robert Williams, his turf toe needs the full six months to recover. Like, I don't know. So, like, what happens? You win the, the play-in tournament, and then you just get smoked by the Nets in five games? Like, I had hope that, for basically, I convinced myself for at least three months, like, you get this top seven, they've never played a game together, they can make some noise, and now it's just like, well, Jalen's not going to be there. I don't know if Time Lord's going to be healthy. Clearly, playing Tristan Thompson for anything more than 20 minutes a game is bad. Tristan yeah. Thompson does not do anything for you on offense. Barely does anything for you on defense. Or on defense. <laughs> yeah, he was bad last night. He's a bad basketball player. <laughs> he is, it's, we should not be calling it a top seven. We should be calling it a top six plus Tristan Thompson because he's just not been good. He's had stretches where he gets rebounds and then throws it out. And like he completely forgot that that was a successful uh, strategy. And I just don't know what he does for you at this point. For a while there, I was like, Tristan Thompson is, is bad. And then there was a stretch where he was like, good. And I was like, okay, I retract everything I said. I regret retracting. I should have stuck to my guns and said the bad Tristan Thompson is coming back because I was right. He's decent when he is your backup big man and can give you three stints of six minutes where it's like high energy offensive rebounds. If he's your sole big man, he doesn't do anything on offense. He sets a screen and then lightly rolls to the basket and puts no pressure on the rim. And it's like, that's not helpful at all. Let's just throw all of our attention towards Jason Tatum. And then you, he throws a turnover. It's just like, it doesn't helpful. Why did we sign him for two-year contract at $9 million a year when they had Robert Williams and Daniel Tice? The whole season is all Danny Ainge's fault for making that signing and signing Jeff T. <laughs> I mean, they were bad signings. It's just objectively, objectively the case. And yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah, Tristan Thompson is good in like little stints off the bench. It's exactly what Ennis Cantor was. Like he's, he's a slightly worse version of Ennis Cantor. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think he's worse than Ennis Cantor. What does Tristan Thompson do against Joel Embiid? Like Ennis Cantor actually kind of defended Joel Embiid. <laughs> does Tristan Thompson pose for photos with the Clintons? <laughs> That's and really just like point. make himself kind of like the P Diddy just all up in the videos, just make everything about him. 
At least Tristan Thompson's in the background and then giving us uh, some fun comments Tristan after. Thompson is, Tristan Thompson is not in the background. <laughs> I don't pay attention to uh, I pay attention <laughs> to politics way more than I do uh, the Facts, me too. So, I just hear rumors about Tristan Thompson. I have no idea what's actually going on. <laughs> it's a disaster. Um, I mean, uh, like uh, this is this, it a disaster? This is That's what I've been trying to figure out. They've had the worst injury luck for the of every team in the league. Like. Some stat, 187 missed games. They haven't had their, like, core six plus Tristan Thompson together for one game. Like, Jalen and Jason were very good this year. Rob seemed to make a kind of a leap when he was a starter. Sometimes the season just breaks bad, and they just, like, I don't know. They just had real shit luck this year. I don't know. Is it a disaster, uh, or are they, like, pretty good when they're moving forward to next year? The luck definitely did not break in their favor. Like, that's a fact. But I also think that the roster construction was like pretty close to a disaster like we all said going into the year this roster had problems like endlessly we just kept saying wing depth wing depth wing depth like they don't have any wings besides Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and they didn't like the roster construction was bad so that got them off on the wrong foot because the margin for error was so small from the jump so I think Yes, they had horrific luck, and that obviously does not help. But I think the roster construction was not a disaster, but it was really bad and leaning in that direction. The things that could have hurt Danny Ainge's roster construction really hurt them. It's not like I mean, he made two good draft picks this summer. I mean, we, we talked the other day. He's been on a roll except for the 2019 draft. Like, you know, like you go Rob Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Marcus Smart. Like that's a Terry Rozier. That's a great stretch to draft pick. He's Marshawn Yabusele. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, aside from that, like 2019 draft, he's been on a great roll of draft picks. Just to interject about the draft picks. Like, yeah, that's like a small asterisk in the big picture. But like on this current roster, missing on four picks that are all still on the team, I feel like has a bigger impact like right now, if that makes sense. Well, and it, and it does because of one of the other things that is not broken in his favor, which is that all of the good players that he got to the team just left. Like they just were like deuces. Like that's tough. Like, and I don't know how much you can blame him for that. I mean, I, I don't know who's at fault for the 2018-19 season, like, but that is still being felt. And, and, but then I think one of the problems is that when he tried to scramble, like some of those scramble moves haven't worked out. Kemba felt like a great move at the time. I still think there's potential for him to be really good next year, but it hasn't worked like the first two years the Tristan Thompson signing was kind of bad. And I mean, I get why he tried to do it, but it hasn't worked at all. Yeah. There's been some like real moves that could have gone either way that just went the wrong way for him on top of everybody leaving after the 2018, 19 season. So it's like, I can definitely sympathize with Danny. Like he's been in a really tough spot and some of the bad breaks have really hurt him. Um, But you know, you have to kind of evaluate the bad breaks as decisions that he made because they were decisions he made. Yeah, he made the trade for Fournier, and then he gets two games, and then Fournier goes out for COVID. But you're right. It's like we all knew that having three bigs and starting two of them was not working. Obviously, no one wanted Tristan Thompson, so they had – like, I don't know why they had to trade Tice, but, like, if you knew that Robert Williams was a big man of the future and you liked Daniel Tice's game – the signing of Tristan Thompson to kind of throw off your entire roster construction and then the trading away of Daniel Tice just to save money just seems like a bad decision lumped into another bad decision. So kudos to Danny for making the trade to kind of make the roster balance figure out, but giving away Daniel Tice just to save money when you are wasting $9 million a year on Tristan Thompson feels like poor management. 
At what point do you think they have to start hesitating on calling Rob the big of the future because of his durability issues? Because I do think he has the highest ceiling of any big on the roster. Like he is the big of the future right now, but it's, uh, yeah, right. At some point though, that durability problem does become a real issue in your long-term plans, right? So granted, he's still very young and ideally he can get healthy long-term, but like, I don't know. I think at some point that does become an issue. I agree. I, I think one, the one thing I will say is I think sometimes guys in the NBA who are really young end up growing into their bodies yeah. a little bit. And like, I think that would be the hope for Rob is that just like, you know, like just get, get a little stronger, get, you know, get in the gym a little bit more. Maybe that helps some. Pre-pandemic, I wrote a story about Rob's evolving diet and he like just is integrating vegetables into it. So <laughs> I feel like this is a process and hopefully if he continues to like maintain a healthy diet, like work with the nutritionist and he's been working out a lot too on the side, like he will uh, maybe put on some weight and just like have like a more durable frame and stuff like that. Wait till he learns about stretching and yoga, man. He's going to be wild. How do you sprain a toe? Where does turf toe come from? Like, I don't, like it, nothing you can do for Robert Williams. Like, there's no program you can put him in the offseason to avoid sprained toes. <laughs> I will say that his conditioning has improved. So, like, I do think he is getting better. And, I mean, obviously you don't wish injuries upon anyone, but, like, maybe now the Celtics can negotiate, like, a really team-friendly extension because of his sort of health history his agent might want to lock in that money but they won't have to pay as much as they would have had Rob had a completely healthy season on the Washburn files Gary Washburn dropped a like he, he mentioned like maybe like four years 48 for Rob and I mean you know like the Washburn files is this some sort of secret Gary Washburn based x-files program I don't know about <laughs> it's a very good podcast Gary does a great job on his pod but yeah no like hey, you know he talked about like a four-year 48 potential deal for Rob and I think you know I mean if you're Rob, I think after after everything you've gone through this year, I think you have to look at that and 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 think about it. I mean, if the Celtics put that on the table, like yeah, it's not a lot of money. And if if Rob came back healthy next year and like played seventy of the Celtics' eighty-two games next season at the level he played this year, I mean, at that point, he's looking at probably twenty million a year. Like that's the thing. Like that that's what sucks about all these injuries for Rob is he's probably leaving a lot of money on the table if he signs this offseason. But at the same time, if you have another season like this year, then four years forty-eight is going to be off the table too. So. Like, I, I think, I think if you're his agent, you have to try to do some kind of like balancing act here. Um, and I think if you're, if you're his agent, you're like, really like Rob, if you don't eat these vegetables, I'm going to come over and just literally like <laughs> inject them into you, like eat your broccoli and do your yoga. That, that That's going to be a really interesting negotiation this summer. I'm curious, like, just to go back to something we were talking about a little earlier, I'm curious what you guys think of this. Do you think that there's any danger that the Celtics, we've, we've talked about the Wizards a lot because, you know, Grenham's a fan. We watched Bradley Beal light the Celtics up a lot this season. Do you guys think there's any danger that the Celtics end up in that kind of treadmill, like long-term that they're in? Because like right now they're the seventh seed and you can look at the team and be like, well, there's all this potential. There's, you know, Jalen and Jason are real young, but at the same time, the Wizards have had two stars for a while and sure, like John Wall had injuries, but they were always a mid team too even when like wall and, and beal were were healthy now they have a super duper star in beal the celtics have a super duper star in tatum like if this celtics team as constructed i mean they have all these young guys who aren't necessarily like piecing together wins now is, is there danger of kind of getting into that treadmill and kind of getting locked in there I understand what you're saying. I think the structure around the Celtics is significantly better than the structure around the Wizards. 
like Scott Brooks is a terrible coach, like <laughs> horrific basketball coach. So yeah, they can have like a pretty solid roster and they can score like 140 points a game and give up 120. But like Scott Brooks comes in and messes things up right away. He hasn't had a consistent rotation for three years. Like it's awful. So I think that having Brad Stevens as a basketball coach definitely helps. That being said, I do think they're, I, I get what you're like kind of getting at. Like that is somewhat of a concern because I think the ceiling is somewhat capped as the roster core stands right now. So unless there is some sort of change, I think the ceiling is higher than the wizard ceiling. And I think their floor is higher than the, the wizard's floor, but there is that cap ceiling. So you should make some changes to this core to try and raise that ceiling. So you don't end up in that middling area. You know what I mean? We all agree the Celtics are better than that dog shit franchise, the Washington Wizards. I mean, I think that's blatantly obvious. But I think the question is a good one is that they, the Celtics can clearly get better. But in the Eastern Conference, there's still a team with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. There's yep. still a team with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. And the Greek freaks still exist. So as good as the Celtics can get as whatever that ceiling is, they're still going to have to compete with three very good teams in the East. I Right now, I trust the Celtics, I think, just top talent more than the Hawks or the Knicks. But I think they're kind of still in that kind of second tier range. And I think, yeah, if they can put things together, if Robert Williams can be healthy for an entire season and they can like develop a defensive identity, then I think there's hope just for having like a, a core of Tatum, Brown, Time Lord, and then whatever wings you kind of put around him. But I don't know what, what do you do to get to the talent level of the Brooklyn Nets? Like, I just don't know what the, tra- like, well, well, I have one option that um, we'll get into on a later pod. I have another option, which is uh, lose out of this, uh, lose out of this playoffs, get James Booknight, sit everybody next year and then get Paolo Banchero. And then you're just, you're ready to go. Well, I looked up James Booknight when we talked on last on anything potable. Not the spelling I was expecting from the last name Book Night. That's a that's a wild one there. <laughs> uh, did you watch it? What, what do you think uh, after watching him? Oh no, I just looked up his name and said that's weird spelling. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, there's I, I I think there's I think there's some concern there, and I think that's part of the reason. I, I mean, I, Danny Ainge, he's very very smart. I think he sees all of this and will probably. Is he though? Because he did sign Jeff Teague this offseason. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I think I think Danny Age is a, is a very good basketball evaluator, and I suspect that he's going to make some moves. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Last night at the game, a lot of fans, a lot of uh, vitriol for Brad Stevens, audible vitriol for Brad Stevens. Grant was mentioning that you could hear people chanting, fire Brad, fire Brad. I mean, like, why, guys? Like, I don't understand, like, all of this vitriol for Brad. I just think it's misplaced and annoying, frankly. I'm curious, like, uh, I mean, like, Packard, you were there. I mean, what was what was kind of your impression of, of the fan reaction to, to Brad last night? I actually didn't hear the fire Brad yelling, maybe just because I was up in the cheap seats and Grenham's a luxury man down on the first floor. <laughs> but it was considerably louder last night with that, like, them doubling capacity, which uh, I thought was interesting. But 
in terms of vitriol, you got to blame someone. I mean, it's like this weird fan expectation that like, I'm disappointed and someone needs to hear it from me, the fan, about how disappointed I am. They're not going to yell at the players because they like the players. And so I feel like the next person to yell at is Brad Stevens. I don't know. I've been blaming Danny Ainge for this entire podcast. There's just like a natural inclination of like, Things have not gone as well as we wanted them to. We can talk about all of the context and all of the bad luck. And after that, we still have to blame someone. And that's just like how I feel like sports consumption works, where it's like someone needs to feel bad for me feeling bad because my team has not succeeded. And I feel bad because I put in time to an unsuccessful team. So I need to yell at someone. Why not Brad Stevens? With, I want to say like 90-ish seconds left, the fire Stevens chants got like relatively loud in there like it was oh, see, I, I had left 30 seconds oh, Packer was gone by then <laughs> it was oh you it wasn't like a fight it wasn't like a like we want taco like those are always the real loud chance but it had some momentum and before that it was just constant people yelling toward the bench at Brad I understand sports fandom like it can be irrational plenty of times but that just sort of made me mad because I don't put much of this on Brad like really any of it on Brad to a point Sure, some of it comes down on him, but it's not like he needs to lose his job. So that I thought was just kind of a wild reaction. Everybody plays a role in this, like Danny, the players, Brad, like he's not completely like blameless or whatever, but he doesn't deserve to be fired. And you know anything about Brad, like anybody that has covered the Celtics for even one season knows how much this guy loves basketball how smart this guy is and how much work he puts in. Like, you know, Brad is probably agonizing every night over like things he could do differently and then things he can change for the next game. And like Brad literally tries so hard and wants to do well. And it just, not that that's like an excuse, like at some point, yeah, you have to be held accountable. But in this specific season, like, I I don't think that he deserves that level of vitriol. To your guys' point, like, that doesn't mean that, like, you can't blame him for things. Like, sure, like, I I mean, letting Kemba get ISO'd for an entire game on Jimmy Butler was bad. And then, like, it happened again the next game in the first half. That's a problem. But that's not, like, that. that's not the reason the Celtics are struggling this year. You know, like, that's just, like, an example of, of this not going well. And this isn't like this, like it's, it's professional basketball. You have to have results. You have to come up with results. And then I a hundred percent understand that. But like, I think Brad is a good coach. I don't think he's like the best coach in the NBA. Like he's not Eric Spolstra. I mean, like, okay. Like fire Brad, fire Brad for who? Like, t- tell me who you want in his place. Like, I've seen a bunch of people saying, like, Jawan Howard. Like, you have no idea if Jawan Howard is a better NBA coach than Brad Stevens. What you do have is at least three really good seasons that were, like, Brad Stevens' teams overachieved. Two of the last three seasons have been bad. I don't know how much of that you can put on Brad. Like, I don't know. I mean, basketball is a zero-sum game. If you win, everybody feels great, and, and, and you get a win. If you lose, everybody feels crappy, and then you get a loss. I don't know how much of this you can put specifically on Brad Stevens. He's like, I think he bears as much fault as anybody else. So if, if it's fire Brad, then it's also probably, you know, trade everybody and fire Danny. Like it's this whole season is a collective failure. I feel like not, not on one person by any means. I mean, they're not going to fire Brad also simply because they just signed him to an extension and it would probably be very expensive. So if they're trading Daniel Tice to save money for Wick Grossbeck, they're definitely not interested in buying out Brad Stevens, like <laughs> multi-million dollar contract. That being said to the, like, who else? Like, I do get that argument to an extent, but at the same time, the Toronto Raptors found, like, Nick Nurse 
and he proved to be a championship winning coach. So there are options. Nick Nurse could be an anomaly and we'll see how the rest of his career goes as well. But I don't think the options are as like sparse as people might think that they are. Counterpoint, everybody thought Nick, uh, that Bjorkgren guy in uh, Indiana was going to be the next Nick Nurse. And that guy's failing (laughs) spectacularly. (laughs) I mean, Nick Friedman, assistant coach of the Charlotte (laughs) Hornets is a possible person who could come in. Uh, The thing that's interesting to me about Brad is that like, he is a defensive coach. Like he's made his bread and butter on like making teams that had no business being good defensively teams that featured Isaiah Thomas being like a top five defensive team for whatever reason that just didn't click this year. I would say one of the Celtics strengths last year was they had five guys moving on a string and that came from playing together and having a bunch of time to practice. I think the bubble, they had so much time to practice and be together that like they could, you could actually scheme and implement some strong defensive principles. Brad's not been a great offensive coach in terms of just like the actions he runs in terms of getting guys to the free throw line, getting just easy shots, just watching the heat just watching Duncan Robinson and all the kind of heat wing players, like the heat never stopped moving on offense. And it was just like impressive to see like a type of offense that could kind of operate like that. I don't think the Celtics have the personnel to kind of run a constant motion offense. Like they have no one on their roster like Duncan Robinson who can move without the basketball and make those shots. I think there's a lot of people, at least. You have uh, Smith a couple of years though. <laughs> that's what you hope he develops into, but like Duncan Robinson as much as his prep school face makes me want to um, just get so much rage. Uh, I like every single high school party I went to, there's like seven guys who look exactly like Duncan Robinson. He hits very close to home because he literally played in the same league in my high school. And most of my hatred towards Duncan Robinson is just hatred of myself, but he's very good at basketball. And I just don't think the Celtics have that on their roster right now. And there's a lot of criticism online for, Brad's offense is like, he like needs to change the offense. A lot of people like on my weird Celtics Twitter group chat is like Brad's offense sucks. And at what point did he have any time this year to implement a new offense? There was no off season. He's had zero practice days. Kemba yeah. Walker wasn't there for the first, what, two months of the season. It was basically let's give the ball to Jason Tatum a lot more and see what he does with it. He's been pretty good. His playmaking has made some uh, strides. His turnovers are also up a bunch, but that's like not really to be like that surprising. I think it's like, I don't know. I would assume implementing a new offense and offensive principles or new structures is hard when you have zero off season and then zero practice days. So I just like, I don't know what exactly the expectation was it's like, oh, well now we're going to run an entirely different offense that is predicated on a bunch of different principles. It's like, no, we're going to run the same kind of like DHOs at the top of the wing or the top of the key. And then it's going to result in a lot of the ball going to Jason Tatum's hands. And you know what? That's usually good, but I don't know. I just, there's all this clamoring. We're like, Brad needs to change the offense. He needs an offensive coordinator. Maybe, but like, maybe he needs a full off season and a full training camp and then actual practice days to, you know, implement new things on the fly rather than, I don't know. I ran out of steam there. Your point is a good one. The only question I have about that is like, if you, if you go into next season thinking, okay, like just give Brad some time, give, give this roster some ch- a chance to gel. You better be sure that that's what you want to do. 
like I think after this offseason, if, if you don't make like some changes, it's I mean, it's, it, I think it's only going to get harder. You, you might miss out on opportunities. And we talked we talked about potentially trading for James Harden when he was available. I mean, I think ultimately we came down in favor of it. We thought that made a lot of sense, both to give the Celtics an, a huge weapon and to keep them away from Eastern Conference rivals. And I think that's kind of proven true. Like every time you, you kind of, you know, you don't make a move or like a guy becomes available and you don't go get him, it's like, okay, but then now you don't have Jimmy Butler. Like, and that's, that's fine. Jalen Brown is really good. Um, you know, I, I would 100% understand rather having Jalen Brown than Jimmy Butler. Like he's been, he's been a great player this season. But like, you don't have Jimmy Butler and the Heat do. You didn't go get James Harden. You know, now the Nets have him. Like, and you know, that's just going to keep being the case. And if your guys don't coalesce, then you missed out on all these guys who became available and you missed out on opportunities to potentially improve your team. It's going to be interesting to see what their approach is because clearly this year has not worked, but also clearly like the vision for this year never actually got a chance to come together because there was no help. And so how much does Danny Ainge say, well, if we could just get these guys healthy, then we could see what the potential of the team is or how much of he like, does he have the pressure to like make these moves? Because there was at no point did they actually have those guys and do they just rely on that and being like, Hey, maybe we can just run it back and like hope for more health. I think it's tough to kind of do that because injuries happen in every NBA season. And if you're just one injury away from your team being very mediocre, then you probably don't have the best roster, but there is that like part of it's like, well, after the Fournier trade, like we had a pretty good core in place that could have done something and we just never got the chance to do it. And so it's going to be interesting to see like what the Celtics mentality is uh, heading into the offseason. Is it just trying to sell the fan base on like we have the talent in place, they just need to get healthy. I did want to say too, Jalen Brown has not quit on this team. Like that narrative needs to stop. Jalen needed wrist surgery for a torn ligament in his wrist. He didn't quit on this team. Stop it. <laughs> Is that even a narrative or is that just... Oh, yes. It was on Boston Sports Talk Radio. For anyone listening out there, do not engage with bad faith actors and sports, for lack of a better phrase, dickheads. Just mute them, block them, and move on. You are in control of your own Twitter timeline. It is a bubble that you get to create. And so you don't have to have Gary Tangway tweets at all. You just don't, you don't have to see them. When I muted Gary Tangway, it was one of the happier days in my life. When I muted Tony Maserati or all these people, it just, you don't have to have people who are just bad faith actors on your timeline. Just do not engage, move on. I know the urge is to yell at them and to to dunk on them and then to quote tweet with the SpongeBob gif of going, oh brother, this guy stinks. Like that is my natural instinct, but that's what they want. You just got to mute, block, and then move on and hopefully uh, not give them any any airtime because it is just pure nonsense. The Shaughnessy article where it's like, I'm sorry, Nicole Yang, this is a Boston Globe article, but him saying this team is supremely unlikable. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not the case at all. Like they're very much likable individuals. They just had a bunch of bad luck. It's just, uh, it's ridiculous. There's a lot of very legitimate criticisms of the Boston Celtics. And some of them are kind of harsh, but there's also a lot of like real mitigating factors and not all of them are just pure excuses. Like that's going to be very difficult to parse through it. There's a lot of nuance with this season, but on both sides, nobody is going to want to hear. Is there anything else? Uh, I mean, are we, are we not, is there anything else that we're kind of missing from this conversation? Like I feel like yes. we went super big picture. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go I ahead. forgot something that I feel like Sam will enjoy. It relates to last night's heat game after the game, the Bruins, have I would assume a game at some point in the next couple of days or they're getting ready for the playoffs, whatever. Celtics have a three-game road trip. So they rip up the court after the game. Heat culture, Max Struess, brief Celtic, comes out onto the court. 
the bull gang, the TD Garden bull gang is out there like starting to rip apart the court. There's stuff on there. Max Struess just starts ripping sprints up and down the parquet. Like very, like very, working very hard. There's a performance guy out there with him, one of the Heat performance staff, and he's like running him through this workout. He was probably out there for maybe 25 seconds. There's a Celtics employee who was helping like wipe down the scores table and move stuff runs out of the court and just starts screaming at Max Struess, <laughs> telling him to get off the court because they have things to do. Max Struess is like completely bewildered, just standing there like, what? He's like, get, you can hear him because the music had turned off. He's like, get off, like get, get off the court. And so Max Struess like kind of has to throw his hands down and just like put his head down and walk back into the tunnel. So in conclusion, the Boston Bull Gang has no time for heat culture whatsoever. And that was an enjoyable post-game moment yesterday. Max Juice is probably like, do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. And the bull gang is like, no, games. not at all. Who are you? Get off the court. <laughs> I have a very pretty face and a nice jump shot, and you're not going to let me sprint in your arena? Me oh, and my man. jawline will be running on this court right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, so I enjoyed that moment. Well, thank you oh, for man. sharing Stop. that. I did. I do enjoy anyone yelling at Max Struess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we could leave it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, and big thank you to Sam Jam Packard. Anything is potable. Check that out. You know where to find us. If you, if you have a minute, we would really appreciate anybody who leaves us a five-star rating or review. And we will talk to you all again later this week.